This podcast is brought to you by JBL. Employing the best methods and tools, audio technology is at the core of everything JBL creates. Never straying from a ground-up approach to everything they build, JBL has produced a prolific list of audio achievements, groundbreaking technologies, and revolutionary advances in the art and science of professional audio. JBL, passion for sound and those who create it. Learn more at JBL.com. Hello and welcome to Tape Ops Discussion, where we call our friends and music community notables to chat about their favorite records. Enjoy. All right, let's see what's what. Okay, are you there? I'm here. Fuck yeah! All right. Dude, we're working. Everything, it's it's a miracle when technology comes I, together. I've got this, I've got this shotgun mic that's up here, and I it works all the time, of course, except for today. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, why would it work? Yeah, there's no there's no reason why it would work. In fact, this is just the backup mic because I'm an audio professional or like would like to think that I am. Uh, Yeah, I mean, based on your glasses alone, Tom, dude, you are an audio professional. You you have you always have the best rims frames. What do they call those? What are they? What are they? Frames. Frames. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, I don't Chunky, know. Chunky, colorful, delightful. I had to like, I. this was, a, you know, I, this is just audio, right? Yeah. Whole thing. Yeah. So no one can see. So no one can see. But you just had, they'll have to imagine how just glorious and epic they are. Well, how does, how does this shotgun mic? Because this other thing is not giving me any love here. Wait, there it is. There we go. Okay. All right, so sheesh, some days. Welcome to Discussion. I'm Jeff Stanfield. And today I chat with my friend Tom Monahan about the Polyphemus album, Scrapbook of Madness. If you could record at least four to six tracks of your vocal, that would be awesome. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, I have seen some weird stuff lately. I can't, I hesitate to even talk about it, but I have seen people do some very strange stuff in the podcast world where they wanted to record this conversation at Atmos <laughs> and they had, they said, they sent microphones that were like, they had like cardioid only tube mics, like, 30 feet in the air above like two people having a normal conversation and they sent they sent literally i think it was 25 tracks for the conversation in atmos and the mics were so high that they were picking up the hvac from the building more than anything else i mean i have no idea like this was like this was like a military operation this <laughs> session it was they spent so much money on it and everything and they sent back the audio and they're like oh this sounds amazing and everything and i was just kind of like yeah that's the two close mics 
Yeah, exactly. I was going to say you probably just used the used uh, two mics. Yeah, I mean, didn't need and some else. reverb. So, <laughs> yeah, totally. And one of them, one of them, fancy binauralizer plugins. Yeah, you know, nice. Anyways, yeah, I know. Anyways, I know your I know, feelings on Dolby Atmos, so I'm sure that was a treat from the get go. Oh, let's. Yeah, well, we'll. You know, we're we're still living. We're living in that world. So, anyways, anyways. but um, I. Yeah, I'm, I've, hopefully we you chop most of this annoying technical nonsense. Absolutely not. Because because we just, yeah because we need because we're here to talk about talk about jams. We are here to talk you know? about jams. So listen, man. As as this is why it's always awesome to chat with with uh, Tom is that uh, <laughs> you know you you tend to typically enlighten me to things that I have not been uh, hip to in the past. So. Polyphemus, um, scrapbook yeah. of madness, and so you you dropped this on me, and I and I immediately, of course, was like, okay, let me check this out. I know it's going to be good because you sent it to me, but I love this record so much, and it's just now I'm like, Yay. I now it's like the record that, of course, I turn on all my my other little circle of friends. I'm just like, oh, you got to hear this, um, sort of a lo-fi masterpiece, but I think uh, you can you can tell me a little bit more of the the back history and how you came across this i mean like it is funny because when you asked when you asked me you know like do you want to do this and talk about a record again you know we we talked about charlie xcx last time um i was like do i pick something that people know or do i pick something that like i think people should know you know do I, and it's kind of tough because it's always that thing of like you know, if you pick something obscure, like, and you talk about it, people don't know what you're talking about at all, but hopefully they'll go and listen to it. Because this is a record where I, I definitely feel like, like there are records that you, I think everybody kind of carves their own path through the world and they run into things and everybody has a different, like you send me tons of stuff that you dig that I've never heard. And that's the beauty of this whole thing with sharing music with friends but it's like there are certain records where you kind of feel like you're maybe the keeper of the flame a little bit you know and um and i realized that uh, you know this record ties together like m what feels like multiple lives for me you know and uh enough about like my connection to it because it's really about what the record is and it's um it's this record that came out in 1993. Uh, it was two people, Brian Leary and uh, Elvira Coral or Corral. I'm, I'm not, I was never sure how to pronounce her name. And they were, you know, Brian had this, um, he had a band before this called Desperate Hours that a, a digger friend of mine found when we were talking about this record. And I just kind of ran across this record, you know, in the college radio days, like when I was in college and at a radio station and they came doing a little promo tour talking about the record and i didn't meet them but my friend did and uh and we used to listen to this record all the time and i wound up i was so into this record and it felt so different than other things that were going on in like 1993 that i called them you know this is like pre-internet and like you know i didn't write him a letter or anything i just i figured I, he had their phone number or something and so i called brian just to tell him like man this record is awesome and so i had a couple of conversations with brian and elvira over the years they were they lived out in um uh death valley i think and they lived in this really 
I'm probably going to get most of this wrong, but it's all about building mythology. So you know what I mean? Especially with a name like Polyphemus. Yeah. Fabled Cyclops of uh, Greek mythology, I think. Um, The, they lived in like Brian lived, I guess he had this, he lived on like a compound of houses that were built by like Charlie Chaplin or something like that. And there were these weird little houses. I think that's why the second record is called Stone House because it was recorded mainly at home. And so I know that this record was it's as lo-fi as it is. That was totally a choice because this thing was recorded to like, it was a 24 track recording in like a proper studio. But, you know, that's like some super fuzz, fuzz pedal nerdery going on. You know, and this yeah, thing. I mean, the uh, to me, I I heard it and imagined that it was a dude in his bedroom, um, making it on a four track, like one hundred percent, because the drums are just, just smashed mono, like just destroyed, like buried too, like you know, it has that it has that effect of of the four track where the first thing you tracked becomes the quietest thing you tracked over time, and they just kept stacking and and overdubbing and stuff, um. But yeah, I mean, and and it has that California desert rock feel to it. And I think you mentioned that this predates like, you know, Caius and bands like that. And I don't know, was there, was there a relation? Like, did they, were they friends? Were they co-mingling in, in projects? Do you know the story there? There seemed, I think that they were aware of each other because I feel like I ran across some connection, but I don't know how, like, whether I'm making that up in some dream world I live in or whatever. But I kind of, it definitely, it overlapped in some way. But I don't know whether, like, Brian Leary was out with a generator in the middle of the desert jamming with Caius, but I've never dug into the credits on those things. So I don't know, you know, but they were definitely part of that vibe. And as far as the recording, I think it's definitely, I think it, you know, it probably started 24 track. And I know some of the songs were, there was an EP that came out before this record called, um, called the Village Trip EP. And there are a couple songs from this record, scrapbook on that. Um, and I think those are recorded at home. And I know that their second record was totally done at home because I was, wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't involved with it, but I, I sort of, um, I was hanging around Kurt Rolski from Ultra Vivid Scene uh, around that time. And I was talking to Brian and Kurt was like looking for, he recorded the band I was in and he was somebody who encouraged me to produce and to record. And I would, we would talk about it a lot. And, and uh, he, I knew he was looking for stuff to do and I mentioned it to Brian. And so Kurt actually went and started their second record with them, uh, Stonehouse. And um and it didn't, I think there was a total, like, it wasn't a great match because um, what I know of Polyphemus's recording techniques, I know through Kurt telling me about how Brian was very specific and he had really specific pieces of gear he wanted to use. And I think, you know, Kurt was a, like a, you know, very, like a classicist, like, you know, proper guitar, like, you know, jazz masters and deluxes and like this thing. And I think Brian was kind of like, you know, Ibanez shredder guitars and like um maybe there was an art preamp involved in there somewhere that like Kurt was not happy with or something. But you know, when you look at Scrapbook, I, I know that um I know that he it 
part of what comes through in the record is the guy, you know, who unfortunately is gone. I think he passed away in 2016. Um, he is, he is a genius. Like those arrangements are crazy, no matter where you recorded them. They're beautiful. And there are such deliberate choices made, you know, where the vocal might be like an like a Beatles record. It might be on the left hand side when it starts and then it comes in in the middle later and total 60s acid rock kind of underpinnings. Um, but also like. I don't know. Sounds like Husker Du's and Arcade. You know, the second track sounds like, you know, sounds like Agent Orange. It sounds like Bloodstains. That's some like posh boy SoCal vibes, you know? Green golden light burns through the night down by the river Inside your house Watch from afar Sleep in your car I'm getting closer Before you You send it at the perfect time because I was sort of laboring over this mix and I, uh, you know, is it, is it pro enough? Is it hi-fi enough? All these things. And I, and I put this record on it and it just absolutely validated all the things because it, 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 although I am a proponent of good sounding records, um, this one is just, it, it's so interesting and it also is so lo-fi and non-technical in its presentation and yet it's still amazing and great. But there are also tracks on here that remind me so much of like, um, like Substitute by The Who, you know? Like there's yeah, all this really yeah. cool acoustic guitar stuff. Um, you know, there's tracks that are straight up like Black Sabbath, like a track like Ringo. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a, it's top to bottom. It's just a very interesting journey. It's so multidimensional. Yeah, it's 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 really sequenced well, you know? That's the thing, because I've been walking around listening to it, and, um, and I just kind of enjoying listening to a whole record. And I, I, I kind of, like, want to call out the Blue Oyster Cult in mm. it, because, like, it's got, like, it's, it's you know, you could, you could kind of say the cool stuff, like where it's um, oh, it sounds like the the Who sell out or something like that, and it it kind of sounds like Zen Arcade, and it's got some punk rock in it and some some like some stony, you know, Hesher kind of vibes, but then there's the like, then there's the sort of like burning for you Blue Oyster Cult <laughs> kind of thing. What track? What track particular do you uh, for that? I I because uh, I didn't I didn't get that, but uh, you know. It's kind of well, I think it's kind of like in the it's sort of in the stompy ones, like um, you know, the kind of the deeper cuts like um uh what the old man said or like um, you know, uh this day of mine. Um, you know, they they there's just that I think it's kind of like the it's it's not so much like it sounds like Bloister Cult, it's more like the melodic sensibility yeah. of it. And the like and the fact that it sounds like a three guitar band with like Buck Dharma every <laughs> once in a while busting busting some like phaser lead. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah, what the like, old man said yeah. reminded me it's it 
it, it it definitely has this stoner rock vibe to it, but it also has like all this hopefulness in the in the like you're saying yeah. in the melodicness, the, the melodic uh, quality and elements of that song are way more hopeful than a lot of that you know than than a, than Caius would ever do, you know. Got the sort of like blistery, you know, sort of sounds like SST sort of spot produced vibes to it. And but but you have these beautiful, beautiful guitar parts that come in. And they're not they're sometimes they're just like they're sort of like they can even be like uh sonic youthy or something where it's like it's just like a sound, but there's such thoughtful arrangement of all these guitars there's always something cool to listen to it just keeps evolving and you're never really quite sure what's going to pop up it's like the song might present itself and then you hear the chorus but the end of the song is going to go somewhere yeah. else and you're just like what yeah. you know it keeps changing and and i there i can't i wish i could remember off the top of my head but there's one song that's super heavy and then the solo comes in and it's like a it's an acoustic guitar like chord shuffling yeah. solo and um and 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 it works perfectly but i think part of what drives that is exactly what you said which is that there's like a there's kind of a, a there's a bit of like sunshine in at, at the bottom of this thing that keeps radiating upwards it's said like you're looking down into a well and it kind of like has all the trappings of metal and punk and like blood stains speed kills that kind of thing but that's not what the, the the lyrics aren't like that at all. They're just they're more sort of like very like way too stoned, staring at a starry sky in the middle of the night. That kind of like beauty yeah. in it that's really 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 makes it compelling year after year. When I go back to it, like I definitely wear I definitely wear this like a favorite shirt. This record, you know, there are clues to tell you when it came out, but it emanates a very '60s psychedelic acid vibe and there and it is strange in its presentation and the way it's mixed and stuff um like you said like not you know and beyond just like left you know starts in the left speaker or the drums are panned or whatever it's together but there's also disjointed presentation at times which made it really made me feel like somebody was punching in on a four track and it's just that first track is so driving but also so lo-fi and it's funny that you say that this was recorded on a 24 track in a proper studio because 
the second, you know, Stonehouse, the second record is way more hi-fi and has way more clarity to it. Yeah, yeah. And there's some there's some killer, killer tracks on the second record, you know, like um, uh, the, you know, uh, the song Stonecutter is heavy. It's super heavy. That's a that's a favorite. And um, I'm trying to remember, is it, is it I think it's uh, it's the song more than I real it's it's more than I realized on the second record on Stonehouse is just like I don't know what to say about that song except that like I think I've probably I have to confess I've ripped that song off like so many times in terms of like thinking about the way that the the instruments are presented and um and just the melodies and the kind of form of it and I I actually have um uh I actually have a cassette that Kurt sent me of 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 his version of the song, like because they because Kurt did like he worked on the record with them. And then, you know, that's how records go. You know, it's like sometimes you just you and the artist kind of go in different directions and the and uh, you start with, you know, all the hope in the world that it will go the way you want it to. And then it just, you know, like you you're finding it out as you work together. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And Kurt um sent me his version of that song and it's totally beautiful and their version is is the same stuff but it's mixed differently but it's totally gorgeous and i i like both versions and and actually on the on the note of polyphemus just as a band and like and you know these two records when i moved to la in 2005 my first thought was like not my first thought i guess but like something that i thought about was i was like oh i'm i'm like close to death valley now maybe i could actually meet brian and elvira you know and um i think that's when i called the number i had from the 90s and i i got through and it was like i asked for brian leary and they were like who and i was like brian leary from polyphemus and i think it was his maybe it was his mom answered the phone or something and i had this conversation with 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 brian and um and he, he was lovely, lovely dude. And then he and Elvira sent me like all this unreleased stuff. And they sent like, cause they're the, the, the EP that came out prior to, uh, the record, there was way more stuff. And it was an entire record called Chains of Ice, which is like one song on the EP. And they sent this new thing that they're working on, which is, you can, I don't think you can find it online, but it's called Gangster Hippie. And it was, um, and if you go on Discogs, it's there as a CDR. It's bizarre. And so I have this CDR of a whole other record that's way heavier than Polyphemus. This definitely was going down that route. It sounds like them, but it sounds like them as a band and it sounds super heavy. And I just, you know, I I always hoped that um, somebody would want to, you know, like would want to, maybe release that stuff it's awesome the stuff that's there i feel sort of weird talking about it because i'm kind of like it's not fair to people to say like you're talking about this one record you know scrapbook of madness it's amazing but there's more there's a lot more you know and it's and it's that's just kind of the way the world is like every time you turn around like there's somebody made a masterpiece somewhere you know 20 like in their bedroom or they they made it in a studio or like people are just always trying to express themselves and they, you know, that's the beauty I, I think of recording music is that like it, it is a lot lower sort of uh, cost of entry now, but even, even back, you know, in the, 
you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, it still was easier than making a film. You know what I mean? So lots of weirdos and lots of people had businesses. It was just like, get these weirdos in here and press record and let them go, you know, like, and we've got so much great music because of that. And you just keep, that's why people dig. That's why people release records and they re-release them. And, you know, it's, it's, this record is one of those things that makes me realize why I like music sometimes because it just, it's, it hangs in there. And then I think, yeah, but there's all this other stuff too that they put out. And like, maybe someday there'll be some way for someone to re-release that stuff. And I don't know, Brian's gone. I don't know where Elvira is. I don't know any of that stuff, but I, I love Scrapbook of Madness, you know, I love that record. And if it's, I feel like it's a little club in a way, like, cause I, you know, I heard this being played. I was on tour with Lilies once in Holland and um, we were sitting and they were playing Scrapbook of Madness in this place that we were going to play. And I was like, who the fuck put this on? And I had to go find them. And I found them and we wound up hanging out. We stayed at their house. Like it was like a whole thing, you know, and that's what's so great about records like these is there's, you know, they're like the secret sign of like whatever you're like oh you you know about this i know something about you because you like this record so i'm i'm glad that you i'm glad that you liked it and i hope that it's it is something that i hope that people you know it's a little like a lost little masterpiece some people dig it some people just be like why the fuck are they spending any time talking about this crap <laughs> you know I mean, it's just a good one to like. It's just a good one to bust out every once in a while, you know. It's like, it it, it is, it's different than other kind of like guided by voices, um, type stuff, or you know, other people that I feel like work in this territory. There's there's a you know there are other records like especially this um, record Andy from Vetiver sent me this RMFC record that I like. Do it's just like a it's kind of like a little punk rock psychedelic masterpiece in the same vein as, um, you know, as, as scrapbook, but it's, it's, it's like, it's different cause it's that guy's personality. And I think the main thing that comes through is like stone, like not Stonehouse. Um, scrapbook is really like, it's a singular vision, you know, like it is just that it's that dude and Elvira, it's Brian and Elvira and, that's what you get. You get the, you know, you don't hear a band of people. It's like that guy playing drums and then he played bass and then he played guitar and then he had to like, and it's just, you hear all the different guitar parts and just think, wow, I, it's, 
amazing to think that somebody either heard that in their mind or found their way to that, you know, and you're just like, I want to scale that mountain, you know, for sure. It's cool. It's cool. awesome, man. Dude, call always, it a, call it's it a wrap time to do this. Thanks for listening. Discussion is created by Tape Op, the creative music recording magazine. Free subscriptions are available at tapeop.com along with our regular podcast and online content.